Nothing like an awkward family photo to start yes. off the season. Am I right? Exactly. Exactly. And we've been recording this whole time too. So. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> all right perfect we need to do matching outfits for one of these hey maybe not um uh, all we'd have to do is wear black and we've achieved it this is this is true um well welcome back everyone to season four of fathoms and enneagram podcast oh, <laughs> oh, yeah. and as you all know, we have a fourth co-host on this yes. pod, Lindsay the Lens Marks. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> uh, so here we are, season four. Let's 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 catch up um, on where have we been, what have we been doing, and what we have in store. So, uh, what was that dinging sound? Sorry, silencing everything. Okay, so good. The phones. Okay. So let's start with um, let's start with Drew. Drew, uh, since last season, which is I don't know about ten years ago. <laughs> um, <laughs> what's been going on? What you been up My to? My goodness. Well, I've retired. I. <laughs> <laughs> you have sixteen kids. I now. bought a flying car. <laughs> Whoa. Multiple children have gotten married. I'm a grandfather now. Um, <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> None of those things are true. It it has been a long time. It's uh, my life has just been work and family. I think just trying to yeah. keep up with five kids and their activities and making sure that they you know are fed and clothed and out the door when they need to get get out the door. You know those sorts of things. So, yeah, yeah. So we're recording this in like I don't know late October. We kind of. So I don't know when this is actually going to be coming out. So tell me, summer, what was your highlight of your summer? Ooh, highlight of the summer. Uh, we took a really great trip with some friends to Virginia to a lake. That was mm. just boating. And uh, they this lake has a pontoon that is an ice cream boat mm. and pulls up to your dock. And so and our, we happen to be on the route at 1030 every morning. So wow. we got ice cream every morning at 1030 via the ice cream boat. <laughs> it was gosh, dreamy. Yeah. They play the music and everything. So, you know, they're approaching and then the kids just kind of run to the dock, you know, <laughs> wow, just waving their hands to make sure he sees, you know. Wow. Okay. So uh, that was a highlight for sure. Yeah. Lindsay up there in Michigan, what is your favorite summer activity to do? Hmm, bike riding. Bike riding. Do you have riding. A, Harley Davidson? Not that like kind of bike riding, although... No. Human powered. Yes, my husband did have a motorcycle and that adventure ended after I ended up pushing the motorcycle with him on it at one oh. point. I was Ooh. like, maybe this isn't so fun after all. Because <laughs> I yeah. was terrified to drive it. So anyway, long story. I ended up pushing it. But no, just regular yes. bikes, bicycles. With the fam. Mm. Do you have a trail that you go on or is this just along the road? Well, there's like a, there's a path that runs through our whole town. And so there's different, you know, parks and stops and it goes through downtown where I live and we can just hop on it from our house. And (laughs) what if, is there any other highlights outside of summer? Like something that you, maybe a mile marker Mm. of your life that happened. Joining this podcast, obviously. Yeah. Core yeah. memory. <laughs> there we go. 
<laughs> made. So uh, moving on to the Seth, the Abram. <laughs> um, just making up your nicknames on the spot. That's you great. That's great. Um, uh, so yeah, what what is what have you been up to? Why are you still in Nashville? Why haven't you moved to Indiana yet? <laughs> yeah, I my memory is just I don't plan on remembering anything <laughs> based on how I do my life. <laughs> so, so uh, yeah, I, I'm not really sure what I've been up to besides I do have, well, well actually, this is a pretty massive thing. Uh, since we did this last, I have had another child. Yeah. I've had another human come into the world uh, because I was just looking at the podcast and our last episode came out on May 5. That's wild. Yeah, right? So yeah. it's been some time, and so my family has grown. So there are four children in my home, and that has been a lot of our time. Yeah, and summer, we just we go to the pool a lot. Mm-hmm. We've got a pool in our neighborhood. It's really helpful. It's really great. The kids love it. And yeah, just you know, work and family, similar to Drew. There maybe were some life-changing things that also happened. I just cannot recall them at the time. <laughs> so... There's that. Uh, as for me, just lots of traveling and working and writing music and editing multiple podcasts. And uh, I'm now a part of a, another podcast. I'm, I'm seeing a podcast on the side. Uh, Betrayer. Oh, yeah. my. <laughs> Our very own uh, friend and teacher, uh, Mario Sakura, and his partner, Maria Jose Munita. It's really great. I'm enjoying doing it. And y'all should check it out. Awareness to Action Enneagram Podcast. So, moving on well, from where was all where was this. your favorite place you traveled? Oh, yeah, great question. Oh, so I did go to I went to California and went on a few like pretty was in like Joshua Tree National Park. Um, <gasps> I've always wanted to go there. S- like near Yosemite, and it was yeah, it was it was a, it was a good trip. It was a really good trip and made some memories and yeah, it's beautiful. Is lovely. Lots of lots of food and coffee and whatnot. Um, yes. So, awesome. so we actually we all three, at least the boys, Drew and Abram, we are actually at Drew's house right now. Lindsay unfortunately was not able to make it for the annual Fathoms retreat, but next year, dearly, next year, hopefully. And as as is tradition, we get together to, to hang out, have fun, connect, all that other jazz. But it really is about trying to figure out what is the next season of Fathoms about? What is our theme? What's our intention? What do we need to slash want to learn about ourselves, about the world, and to kind of take you along on that journey? So, Lindsay, can you kind of give us a, a rundown of sorts of, of the problem that we are seeing and we are hoping to begin to solve. I think that for all of us, as we've had conversations about what the Enneagram means to us and sort of the spaces that we're seeing cracks and specifically people kind of fall through the cracks a little bit with this tool that we've all come to love is just around sort of the po- the polarization, the different schools of thought, kind of people peopling with the Enneagram, you know, mm. kind of, you know, going into our, our tribes and our groups and these people think like me and I resonate with this and not that. And 
than getting into this good and bad dichotomy and kind of using it as a weapon instead of the tool it's meant to be used for. So, uh, yeah, with this problem in mind, a lot of today, uh, the efforts that we've been putting in collectively as uh, this team of Fathoms, we've been trying to nail down maybe the theme for season four. And we think we've landed on something. <laughs> Drum roll, please. We're making an Enneagram musical. <laughs> <laughs> we sure aren't. Yeah. Um, Don't, what what role no would I play that. in an Enneagram musical? <laughs> I'm surrounded by musicians. <laughs> but that said, I would love <laughs> yeah. to uh, reveal the theme for season four. Uh, what, we're, what we're terming it is the dynamics of personhood. That's a very big topic, Seth. <laughs> just, I wasn't just <laughs> say me. more. Yeah, we are called Fathoms more. after all, so yeah. it's on brand for yeah, us. This yeah, this is very much. We want to just kind of call it the elephant in the room. We know that we're not always the best at speaking simply and and making things <laughs> practical and and understandable. And we are we are attempting to remedy that in this season. So we will still get into esoteric bigness sometimes that's just kind of who we are right but mm-hmm. we hope to take these more smaller incremental steps and in, in kind of going along with you in learning about this this what what is this personhood that we speak of and kind of coming back to the beginning of of our enneagram journey of like the the core of why why are we doing this work what is important mm-hmm. about this work so that's just kind of to name that a little bit further. So now that we know the theme, right, the dynamics of personhood, with that in mind, let's go back into this problem a little bit further mm-hmm. of what we're seeing not only in our own lives, in the Enneagram community, but really at the world at large. And why is seeing personhood more clearly important? I'm kind of struck by and saddened by, I think, you know, getting back to what Lindsay said about the current state of the Enneagram kind of world it it strikes me that it reflects more of the broader world than it should <laughs> and mm. and what mm. i mean by that is you know it, it does seem like we're in an age of you know tribalism polarization outrage right division and you know i i think the enneagram would be a really helpful resource to help us see our way through some of those issues and problems you know, and finding different ways of gathering together other than just what we're against or mm. the outrage that we commonly feel. And um, I'm just not seeing a lot of Enneagram work that's doing that in, in any sort of profound way. Of course, we've had many people on this podcast before who, who are doing that great work, but I think the general mm. tone of the conversation feels more, you know, sticking to different camps and making sure that we, you know, toe the line of, of whatever school that we're, we've been a part of or mm-hmm. anything like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Mm. There's also a tendency, I think, if it's not people who are so entrenched in their tribe or their school of thought, then it's also like the, the gimmicky way that the Enneagram's been used yes. is sort of like a, like mm. a Buzzfeed quiz and listicles um, and yeah. Exactly. Or like, you know, I'm selling this coffee for Enneagram sevens. It's like, what even does that mean? You know, Mm -hmm. (laughs) like the ways that it can be fun. And yet also I think people 
are a little bit turned off at the monetization of it and the the memification of it. It doesn't seem like it could really be helpful for them. Mm. Yeah, Creek, you were talking about, I think it was you, um, that it's sort of reflected in culture. Maybe it was Drew, actually. Just where we are with how we use the Enneagram. With how, and I just wonder if it's, it, it's also, another way to say that is like, um, it's kind of like the collective maturity. How, how, how mature you are is how well you'll use, use this tool. And it seems as though it, it came about, again, at a time that we weren't really ready for it. The collective masses weren't really sure uh, what to do with this thing. I, I forget if I've said this on the podcast before, but you know, there's this idea of the two halves of life. The first half of life is is this idea that we're cultivating, kind of our, you know, our who we are in the world, our persona, like who, how we're trying to prove our value. And the second, it's it's the, it's called the um, the ascent up the mountain, you know. And the second half of life is the descent, where you are kind of letting go of the way you prove yourself in the world. And I think the Enneagram has been popularized by the first half of life, folks. And people were not really ready for the transformational part of it, which is actually more about the second half of life, the descent. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Yes. Say it again for the people in the back. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And we're under no illusion. This is is not going to be a kumbaya season. We're actually calling people beyond that. It's not like everyone mm-hmm. should all get along because ultimately there is one agreeable point that we should all just get to and then everything will be fine. No, that's that's delusional, honestly. And and I don't none of us would, would think that in the least. And honestly, that sounds terrible to me. Some of the best conversations are with those that I disagree with. And that informs me. It, whether whether it critiques my position or it further helps me articulate my position in a way that is that is more truer and more more deeply realized. Yeah. And so this is what we're trying to do is how do we take this transformational tool and give it the respect it deserves. Try to bring back some level of respectability and legitimacy to the Enneagram. To can, I, can I interject and maybe this will help? The popularity of the Enneagram, it's, it's brought out paint colors. <laughs> you know? Sure. It, that's, yeah. That is the widespread understanding of the Enneagram still. Meaning, uh, meaning it, that Sherwin-Williams yes. yeah, created paint colors based on the Enneagram types. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It has the the, the reality of what the in, the integrity of this thing is 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 not what that really spread. happened. Mm-hmm. That really happened. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. So yeah, we don't want it to be a joke because we we all of us can attest to it's it's just power and to uh, help transform if used correctly in a mature way. So yeah, all that to say, like it's it's we're not under the illusion that we can solve personhood or sense of self or any of that stuff but it is something that we were wanting to go back to when we hope that you would join us on that journey and not only seeing the problem in isolating ourselves with only those that agree with us but also just seeing the potential of how the Enneagram can be respectable and legitimized as a tool for transformation yeah 
And I think too, for all of us, like one thing I've, I've been hearing and feeling from our conversations is sort of the, this mutual desire to have a humility. And I think someone said something about a beginner's mind too, the last time we talked, just returning to that openness that you originally had before you thought you kind of understood it all. Yeah, I was listening to a podcast the other day. And so you'd assume when you go to some college class, like like uh, intro to philosophy or something, you think, well, the the teacher is the all-knowing one and the students are the beginners, right? But really, it's, it's the, the teacher who mm-hmm. knows that he doesn't know. And his job is to help mm-hmm. the students unlearn and realize this, this have a a uh, knowledgeable unknowing about how things work um, and what things are. And I think maybe in some ways that's what Fathoms has kind of always been about is to Mm -hmm. constantly keep unlearning, not only in our type patterns, but just concepts and ways in which those things have, those certain concepts have uh, morphed into something that they were never intended to be. So what is this theme of dynamics of, personhood have to do with this problem that we've identified. Again, we don't claim to be experts in how to fix this or how to fix any of it really. But um, what we want to do is be on a journey of learning in which we can explore some dynamics of personhood that we've identified that we feel could be really helpful in kind of breaking through maybe some of the more simplistic notions of the Enneagram that are out there in uh, really trying to get at, uh, yeah, some of these really these issues of division and uh, tribalism that we've been talking about. So we came up with three that we want to explore. There's by no means the only dynamics that are worth exploring, but we've identified three that we want to really lean into. And in so doing, learn from some other voices, hear from others to glean wisdom, on their own dynamics of personhood so that we all maybe can, yeah, uh, become a little more, more wise in these ways. So those three, the first one is individuality. Uh, the second one is mutuality. And the third one is unity. And uh, we, we've come up with some working definitions for each of those that I, I wanted to share. And please let me stress that these are working definitions. As we mm-hmm. learn, as we continue to grow in this work, you know, we fully expect that our definitions and understandings of these uh, dynamics will evolve. But so for individuality, what we mean is that uh, the quality or the qualities or characters, uh, characteristics of a particular person that distinguishes them from others. Those things that make each of us distinct from one another. Hmm. Uh, For mutuality, uh, we're referring to kind of the reciprocity of feelings or sentiments or the, you know, the, the common features or attributes that we share with one another or with, you know, a small group of people perhaps. And when we talk about unity, Sorry, I didn't. <laughs> uh, it's an inside joke because it's Abram's favorite definition ever. So I'm going to let him it share 15 it. 15 times but today. Can he say yeah. it as a rap? So, Abram, uh, what do we mean by unity? <laughs> uh, and I cannot take credit for this. This is, uh, in some way, shape, or form, something I heard from Richard Rohr at some point. Um, but uh, my favorite 
personal definition of unity is diversity maintained and protected by love. Ooh, say that again. Diversity maintained and protected by love. Mm. Yeah, that'll preach. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So those are the three kind of dynamics of personhood that we want to explore this season that might help us think through. Now, you know, there's a whole lot we could say about these. And so we have a whole mm-hmm. season, but there's probably some other things we should say or discuss about these three, mm-hmm. uh, I would imagine. So I'm curious, even as I share those definitions, what you all are thinking about these three dynamics, if you have any thoughts. What we thought would be just a, a helpful way to understand these a little bit more clearly to kind of give, I guess, some more distinct handles on understanding these was was to give at least two ways of engaging each one of these words, individuality, mutuality, and unity. So we wanted to look at the benefits of each one of these and how then each one of them can be potentially distorted as well. So for example, uh, with individuality, some of the, I think, obvious and clear benefits are self-awareness, actualization, authenticity. This is where um, even just psychologically, developmentally, you're you're growing and developing your uh, sense of self, like who you are, as opposed to anything else in the world. You know, you're cultivating some quality of I know I am these aspects, and I know I am not those. Yeah, and then the uh, the distortion, um, how we could see, I guess, individuality being distorted is a a quality of like hyper individualism and. Uh, isolation. Uh, you know, there's there's aspects of individuality where even I am better than. There's a there's a way in which like I'm separate from all of these things, and this is the way to do it. You know. Hmm. No, I I feel like I can speak to individuality a little bit, perhaps. Just uh, especially as as those who share the wonderful space of four know exactly what I'm about ready to say. But there's this weird sort of thing where we have a sense of, we vacillate between inferiority and superiority and, and it gives us a sense of identity. There's like a superior inferiority and an inferior superiority. Um, like I suffer the most, therefore everyone should pay attention to me or something like that. Right? So there's, there's the toxic side, but there's also this, this restless in a good way, sometimes not so good, but in a good way, there's this restless sense of, I need to know who I am and I will go to the very farthest cliff to find that one morsel that is, that feels like me, that is authentic, that is real, that I can put in my bag and never worry about if it fits or not. And so there's there's a lot of a lot to be said, right? In in those in those things alone, but the importance of individu- individuality, I think, at least for me, I'm just very hyper aware of that, and the isolation that can come with that. Just because if my sense of self is threatened anytime I'm around someone who is better at something than me, I don't know. Just the list goes on and on. It I lose. I lose some valuable lessons. I lose some valuable friendships and perspectives and, and moments of learning. So I, I just, but when I'm able to embrace my individuality and the gifts that are associated with it, the identities that I've cultivated over time um, in a good way, 
not in a limiting way, but as like aspects of myself that I get to give to the world, then it can be, it's, it's freeing. It's like, these are the tools I get to use to engage life and make it more beautiful. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, when we think about that second dynamic of mutuality, it seems that there, you know, are some evident benefits, you know, to mutuality between one another. I think that feels, uh, there are feelings of safety, understanding, being known. I think when there's mutuality present in relationships that I have, uh, it feels very natural, not forced, right? I think there's a sense of belonging there. But, you know, I'm also struck by the, you know, the fact that uh, a distortion of mutuality could be that I only gather with those that reinforce my thinking or that believe or like the exact same things that I do, right? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. We have to have community. We have to have relationships where we're known and um, where we feel like we can belong. It's an essential part of dynamic personhood. And yet, if we're not careful, then we can be driven in those spaces by fear. And then I think that that's really where it it can go sideways. Like you were saying, Drew, um, getting stuck in our echo chambers and being in spaces where we are able to reinforce that our ideas about the world are true. Because if anything else is seen to be true, then it threatens my sense of safety and my security and it provokes my fears. Um, And so we can kind of live in fake mutual spaces that's really just insulating us. It's not not true reciprocity with people Mm. who are shaping us and making us better and helping us learn and grow. It's just entrenching us in our fears. And I think what we're proposing, especially in those, just in these first two, right, is these are two fundamental things about being human that are a necessary part of growth and development. And you honest, you can't really have one without the other and the other informs the other, right? But like you right. can't have healthy mutuality and relationship without first having a healthy relationship with yourself and doing good mm-hmm. work on yourself. And, but if you're, if you're completely cut off from people, you can live on top of a mountain and feel like you have it all figured out because you're never challenged with the otherness of, of people, the things that call out your selfishness or your, uh, like your vanity or just the list goes on. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, and I think we, we've touched on this a little bit, but there's, there's, there's certain ways in which we fool ourselves I think, yeah, Lindsay, you said this already, but like we fool ourselves into mutuality. Like we think that we're accepting, but really we've just created an echo chamber. We've created a way in which I conceptually can be okay with other people existing that I don't agree with, right? But the lived experience of letting the reality of the other conflict and contradict how I live and call out the things um, within me that are actually very much like them. Um, and that's very uncomfortable. We like to feel like we are right and that we're okay and that we're better than, than so-and-so. I think this is where the Enneagram can be such a gift because you're describing like a problem that so many of us see in Western culture right now is that we are so committed to our own ideas of reality 
because we have flooded our minds with voices that are saying the same thing mm. over and over and over. And in order to get to what is really true and to a deeper sense of reality, we have to yeah. embrace our differences. And that's why I think the Enneagram, when used with humility and with the, the long journey in mind, you know, it can be healing to what we're experiencing right now. So then what would be the benefit and distortion of unity, our third dynamic? And again, unity, I'm just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. Just kidding. Unity, you know, I, I, I do think there's an aspect of nineness that understands um, unity pretty well because we like to make sure other things are unified and that we are not part of that unity, which is really not unity because our voice must be included for things to be uh, truly whole and unified. And so I think one of the ways to understand the benefit of, of unity is that uh, if you think of like an orchestra, you've got all these separate instruments playing their own thing. Like if you were to like zero in on and mute all the other instruments around them, you might hear fun sounds happening from, you know, their unique part, but it's still separate. But if you, you, uh, you know, unmute all the instruments around them, what is happening is you've got the sum that's greater than the parts. All of them coming together to make one beautiful, uh, what do you call it? Like experience. Um, what's the technical score? Term? Um, score. Yeah. There, there is a way in which all the voices get to be heard at the same time and how they make something even more beautiful um, because they're working together. Yeah. Again, that definition that I really love uh, is is that it's diversity maintained and protected uh, by love. I actually, this is making you think of, uh, you know, initially I think it was a metaphor for society in the, in the U.S. was a, a melting pot. And this is where many different types of people t could blend together as one mm -hmm. um, and, and keep their uniqueness, keep their diversity and be together. Uh, and celebrate the uniqueness of each other. And that's what it meant to be a, a melting pot. This is kind of what was celebrated in the be uh, supposedly in the beginning of what we were trying to create. But there's also the idea of uh, uh, a salad where whatever there is the most of takes over. And so it, it, it doesn't, it takes over without naming the uniqueness. And so there's a way in which unity upholds uh, I think, well, let me just say this. We, we talked earlier about how certain levels of uh, maturity, I think, are what are able to use systems like the Enneagram really well. And there is an aspect of unity that, and, and, and maturation, I would say, that is about holding the tension of seeming opposites. Mm -hmm. And if, you're, if you don't have that level of maturity, you're not able to hold multiple things at once. And I think that is a massive quality and feature of what it means to, to be able to practice unity. Um, so with, with this also, I think, moves us into some of the distortion of, of unity, which would be uniformity. So sameness. We, we may say, um, lots of people may say that they want uh, unity, but there's responsibility involved, which mm -hmm. is about creating environments that, are, that make it truly conducive for everybody's diversity to to work so it's working with structures that are already set up 
for only certain kinds of individuals and people groups to work. It's it's making sure that the environment is also conducive. So <laughs> yes. this is to me this is um, a natural flow of events of di- this, this dynamic this process, if you will, of how we have to have a healthy individuality that moves us into from which that individual sense of self we use to connect to our mutuality with other people. And then it is with those two things together that allows for us to have some kind of diversity that is maintained uh, and protected. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I love that. That was great. The responsibility piece was, was, that's, that was a great word. I, and I think one thing that I'm learning just currently in my life is the Enneagram is made for trans is, is used, should be used for transformation. Right. But I think often we get this idea in our head that transformation means all resolution of contradictions. When I actually think transformation is the ability, like like you were saying, Abram, like the is the holding of contradictions and letting them inform each other to let the third thing arise out of that. Which is also what we're saying with individuality and mutuality is mm-hmm. both are equally as important and if you're not doing the responsible work the hard work of transformation of being curious within both of those then though the unity will not arise you can't skip to unity without doing these first two the hard work in these first two unity arises out of those two and cannot be coerced into happening through any means like there, there lots of things are coming to mind but we have to yeah we have to do the hard work and it's not sexy. <laughs> this is this is the problem is the Enneagram requires you to to do hard work. And it's it's not as glamorous in it doesn't make you a guru, doesn't make you enlightened. Like it's all just in the mud day to day doing your work. It doesn't make you rich. In, yeah. <laughs> in fact, yeah. you might even you might even say if you if you're using the Enneagram and it's not making you more compassionate and more diverse in, in nature, then you might be using it wrong. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's diverse and it's, and, and it's complex, right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's not just, oh, there's lots of different boxes. It's like, actually, there's lots of different boxes and the network of connection between those boxes become more and more complex in a, in a great way, not in a complicated way. Something that's also really helped me is this idea of the two words of, of separateness and distinctness, right? And so if you think about a coin, right, the, you would not say that the, the, head's to, the head's side is, is separate from the tail side, right? They're actually the same thing, two sides of the same coin, right? That's what we're talking about. But distinctness helps us see that there is a difference, but that does not mean that they're not interconnected. And, and it's impossible to draw a line between the head side and the tail side, right? Any line you draw, you're still, it's still going to be two sides, right? And so the, this is just kind of baked in, in my view of reality. It's just baked into reality where there's always going to be more complexities and our job is to continue to integrate them. That's good. So that's where we're headed as, as much as we can see and think about it now. Um, I think it's, it's a worthwhile conversation to have. I think you can fully expect us to um, 
bring in a lot of different voices. I think that's um, one of the things we want to continue doing to help us better understand and explore these dynamics of personhood. So we, we're excited about you know the list of guests that we already are working on. So they will provide a lot of richness and wisdom, I'm sure. Um, yeah, I'm curious though, what are what are your hopes or what what do you want to invite our audience to uh, into for this this next season? Based on how we've been navigating, uh, especially in the beginning of this how this conversation started, I th- what I would hope for is that people can come with maybe a realization that there needs to be some urgency around re-upping with how we're using this tool, how it it's how it has uh, become popularized, maybe even kind of resetting the the conversation around the enneagram once again. Let's let's uh like let's let's try that again. You know, um, mm-hmm. with with this tool, with this with this system, because we may. I feel like in 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 a similar way, like when the pandemic hit, it surfaced a lot. It surfaced a lot of things. It named a lot of things. And uh, we all, so many different times, were like, I remember initially it was like, oh, so this is going to be like a week, you know. Oh, it's going to be like two weeks. We'll be get back to regular life again. Oh, we got you know, and then two years later, mm. well, what, what did we, what did we really learn? What did we, how did it change us? It maybe exposed some things, but what actually, how did it do really deep things in us? Um, so in a similar way, like, uh, it might be. I just think there's. It's a good idea to relook at how we hold this tool. Yeah, I guess I, for me, I hope that the listener can enter in with us. Um, I kind of mentioned it before, but with with beginner's mind, which is a mind that is not innocent, right? It's not. It's not ignorant or or stupid. It's it's with the if you think about when you're learning a new skill, how how much open, how much more of a sponge you are at learning every as, uh, aspect of that thing. To be curious as to, instead of measuring it or comparing it to where you already are at first, just let it hit you as it is. And we're going to be doing the same thing. There's there's going to be hopefully some really tough conversations in the future. I'm, I'm looking forward to having my reality shaken a bit. Um, and and how I assume things work, um, and so I guess that's that's my hope for the listener this season um, is that they'll be courageous enough to be a beginner again. Something that I've noticed is a pattern with a lot of people that I um, have worked with using the Enneagram or just having casual conversations is that when we first come to the Enneagram, it's this radical way of seeing others that really opens our heart Mm. in ways that we had previously been shut off because we didn't understand where the other person was coming from. And so you'll hear people say, all of a sudden, I had compassion for this person because I realized they weren't wrong. They were just living life with a completely different lens than me. And then over time, (laughs) you know, that can kind of shift into, I know exactly how this person is going to respond because they're this Mm. style or just not letting people surprise us anymore. Mm. And so I think that that's my invitation to myself Mm. 
And my hope as we journey through this season is that we would get reacquainted with that feeling of open-heartedness toward others and and empathy and compassion and a, a deep inner resolve to just let people surprise us. Now I'm really excited. I don't have anything else to add. <laughs> <laughs> Might you say you are terrified? Terrified. Bring it back. That's, that's a, a callback. That's a, that's a callback to season one, right? <laughs> yeah, Te- I'm okay. terrified. No, and that's I think that's Wonderful. accurate because this is this is kind of scary territory, but also exciting. Yeah, we hope you'll join us uh, and engage in the conversation and have the same hopes for how to work through some of these kind of sticking points that we find ourselves in, and. Uh, I hope you'll help us see how the Enneagram can be really used as a, as a powerful tool for transformation in all of these ways so that we can better explore and understand the dynamics of our personhood in more profound and helpful ways. And so looking forward to this season, looking forward to being with you all co-hosts. Yes. This will be fun. It'll be so great. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. All right. See as you all next week. As the kids say, Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening to this episode of Fathoms, an Enneagram podcast. If you found this episode helpful in any way, consider sharing it with a friend or family member. We are so honored to be on this journey with you, discovering our inner depths, one fathom at a time.